You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. This is Greg Olson, inviting you to check out my new Blue Wire podcast, TE1 where I interview tight ends throughout the history of the NFL who have helped revolutionize the position. TE1 is presented by the Chevy Silverado. The Silverado is all about grit. It's strong and dependable, exactly like playing tight end. Just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. Strong, advanced, and dependable. Download TE1 today wherever you listen to podcasts. Did you guys see the link I put in the in the Twitter chat? Uh oh, I do now. The uh, a link to our first podcast that we did the, the four of us uh, previewing the 2016-17 Lakers the year after they signed Timothy Mozgov and Little oh, no. Dang. <laughs> so <Wow>. you guys, <laughs> you guys have come a long way. I, I recall uh, uh, I recall a lot of like sort of discussion about Brandon Ingram and his so-so rookie year and like the con- were we concerned about that or were we not? Uh, it's been a long time. I don't think it was wow. so-so. I think it was pretty bad. Like yeah, Ingram's, Ingram's first yeah, year it was, was bad. pretty rough. Yeah, I remember a lot of discussion about that. Yeah, I, I it was it was it was a it was a tough year for Ingram. Like. To the point where I think we had a podcast asking if he had an NBA skill. No, 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 not we. You on the on the day that I <laughs> we was were not on there, the podcast, this, I asked the question. No, I wasn't even on. That was the oh, day I was shit. off. I come back and I see the headline, <laughs> not just on the podcast, but I believe it was on Silver Screen and Roll too. Does Brandon Ingram have an NBA skill? At Anthony Irwin talks about it with Adam Morris. <laughs> Adam agreed that he did. That's not funny. Uh, it's not quite as bad as Sirit tweeting that Brandon will be the uh, Kevin Durant of China. She still catches strays for that one. <laughs> Anthony said, what does Brandon Ingram do better than Kyle Anderson or something like that at one point? <laughs> I think he called him skinny Kyle Anderson. At that time, it was a fair question. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it was really, best, really bad. That's the best part about living in the age we are is that you don't nothing. And again, this is maybe a symptom of the, the trickle down of leadership, but like you're not held to anything you said five minutes ago. <laughs> no, Anthony figured that out before Trump did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I told Trump, like, if you're going to run for yeah, He was the blueprint. This is <laughs> unless, unless you're a Miami, unless you say something bad about the Miami Heat, then they will hold you very accountable for that. Yeah, people yeah, yeah. people still send me like Lakers fans still hold, send me uh, screen grabs like they screen grabbed it even though I did I haven't deleted the tweet but they they I they they show me screen grabs of me saying that LeBron looks washed after Mario. I mean, Hizonia to be fair, blocked. I have that screen grab too, just in case you ever do delete. It. I'm never my, delete I have a folder it. on my phone called Bad Anthony Takes. <laughs> How deep is it? Uh, it's honestly like only like, I think like seven photos that have like made the cut to like where I really need to screen grab this because I'm going to need to show it to him later. Mm, I see. 
So there are a lot of borderlines that you're holding off. Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. Not, I'm like, I don't get too deep in it. It's just like, it's the ones that like in the moment, I'm like, oh man, he's going to regret that in like probably like two weeks. Like it's not even going to be that long. Like, mm. okay. I'll still defend that tweet. Like he just got blocked on a game winning shot by Mario. Right, 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 I defend right. that tweet. All right. All right. This is the Limited Upside Podcast. Those are the voices of two of our favorite guests. I Mike Prada that... You know, it's been a, it's been a long few years for Los Angeles Lakers fans. You know, we joked last week that the Miami Heat hat fans had no down years, and I gave Ben shit for that. Ben, hello, how are you? Hey, Mike. Thanks for reminding everyone about last week's verbal faux pas that I made. I'm glad we have two folks on this podcast who will make many, many more than I did last. Oh week yes. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but the Lakers have really had some down years recently, and now they're back in the NBA Finals. So joining us are some of our original favorite guests of the Limit Upside podcast, the co-hosts of what is now the Silver Screen and Roll podcast. I, I can't keep track of which Lake, what your Lakers podcast name is over the years. Um, can I? <laughs> <laughs> um, but also from Silver Screen and Roll, Harrison Fagan, the editor-in-chief, still with SB Nation, and Anthony Irwin, who still hosts, I believe, the Locked On Lakers podcast. Mm-hmm. So we are super thrilled to have you back, and they are obviously in mid-season, post-season form, as you can see. Uh, friends, the first time we recorded a podcast, it was in 2016, and I believe the title was Lakers Fans Still Can't Understand That Timothy Mozgov Contract. <laughs> I mean, I never will. I remember... <laughs> I remember that day specifically I was in Lake Havasu and uh, we're on a boat and I, I really considered we're on a boat going like 40 miles an hour. Cause we're, we're just kind of cruising around the lake. I considered walking right off. Like wow. I considered just, that was it. I was just gonna, this is not. And then I, I hopped back onto Twitter and I saw Lakers fans defending the contract. No, it's actually not that bad. And, the cap might go up and he has championship experience like that, not ignoring the fact that like he, his championship experience was getting played off the court in the aforementioned championships. Okay. So hand up. Like I was one of those Lakers people. Uh, like I'm going to read you guys a headline um, from the day after the no day of dude. So this was July 1st at 1 15 AM. I published this. Uh, so like literally like probably like an hour after he, he signed and it was how signing Timothy Moskov and free agency could make sense for the Lakers. So like that headline <laughs> makes it sound worse than it is. The piece is a little bit more like this could also go very wrong, but I, we led with the could make sense at the time. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to blame my old editor for that. But is um, that in your, is that in your folder of my bad tweets? No, <laughs> that's in my folder of my bad takes. <laughs> yeah. The could did a lot of work in the hill but clearly yeah. Clearly, and now Ben, you are in Los Angeles, so this is a three-person LA pod. Clearly, a lot has changed for the Los Angeles Lakers since then. Ben, I'm, I'm going to start this with you because uh, you just got there, and you were telling me this uh, via text earlier. You you haven't really been able to walk a ton around LA because of the pandemic and all this, but it does feel like this the the city has a certain amount of energy. Like this is where it's supposed to be. The Lakers in the NBA Finals. It feels like it's been a zillion years, but it's really only been ten. But something feels a little different about this run. Is that a fair way to put it for, as an outsider? And it's funny, man. Like the I left here um, a little over ten years ago. Like I was here for the last finals that they won. Um, I was here from 2008 to 2010. So I experienced what this city is like, again, non-pandemic time back then, but during a Lakers successful run. And again, that was Kobe. 
uh, you know, Gasol, Bynum, et cetera. So that was a much, um, it was a much more beloved team in the sense of ownership. Whereas this team feels like a, I'll, I'll say more of a sense of, yeah, mercenary slash like uh, they're supposed to be here. They have LeBron and AD. Every move for the last couple of years was leading to, to this specific thing, not, you know, a Kobe last hurrah. But I think another part of this is that the, and I'll use the term, Mike, because I haven't used it in three weeks, <clears throat> the holistic sports scene here. In yeah. <laughs> yeah. Think, unless you're behind the wheel. Mash the button um, is to say that the holistic sports scene here is a little tired of having to put all their eggs in the Dodgers basket because baseball is a fucking crapshoot and completely random at the end of the day. And, and in the NBA, the best team wins the title 99.9% of the time. And I think there's a, a well held belief slash it's, it's accurate to think that, you know, the moment LeBron got here, multiple titles was in the calculus one bad year, which ended up being a longer way for him to be healthier to be even more effective right now feels like it probably paid off and was an easy thing to, to sell off. If you're a Lakers fan, sure. One bad year and you're already back in the finals. Plus I, I think the other real, you know, overarching vibe here is that people have time to focus on the Lakers, man. Everyone's lives have been disrupted in ways that have taken people away from what they like and things that are a little bit more, you know, uh, extemporaneous things like sports. And then all of a sudden you get to refocus all of your attention on a finals run. Um, and I think that's definitely something that can bring a big city together, let alone a small town like, um, uh, like Miami. Tiny town, Miami, uh, basically yeah. a speck on the dot of the Los Angeles. You know, it's <laughs> yeah. funny. You I talk, mean... <laughs> were you going to say good? No, no, I was just going to say like, you know, look, again, having lived here for at different points in the, in the Lakers history, you guys tell me though, I mean, it's a different vibe. I mean, I'm, Anthony and and um, Harrison, you guys are Angelinos, right? Like this is you've lived through what three three different Lakers dynasties in your probably adult lifetime, not including the '80s when you probably weren't as mm-hmm. mentally aware. How yeah, does this compare both as a city and, and as well as uh, a way a fan base has gotten around a team? You've had a lot to compare. This being the first championship that isn't on the back of a player that the Lakers had right from like when they showed up. Right. So uh, magic Johnson was, was in the eighties and then Kobe twice with the Shaq uh, three Pete and then eventually winning with Powell. And then now this is, this is different because they didn't draft LeBron. If anything, Lakers fans hated LeBron for the crime of getting better than Kobe. And then uh, they, yeah, they traded for 80 and it's, Midway through his career, not drafted. He, they didn't draft him. Uh, they drafted Kyle Kuzma, but you scroll through Twitter while he's playing, and people want him off the court more often than not. So like this this feels a little bit different. And then the other thing, too, I, I think that I've been trying to contextualize is after Kobe retired or after he blew his Achilles, Lakers fans didn't know where the where the the, the greatness was going to come from. They immediately latched on to Julius Randle. He breaks his leg. They and Timothy Mozgov and <laughs> Timothy Mozgov. Hey, Timothy Mozgov for another championship center in JaVale McGee is is what they did. Just paid significantly less for him. But like they went from they 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 so they they put their eggs in the basket with Julius Randle. He breaks his leg. Jordan Clarkson has a pretty good year, right? But he's like a late pick or whatever so whatever uh they they talked themselves into d'angelo russell but he immediately gets crapped on by byron scott 
and Magic Johnson never seemed particularly thrilled with him. Uh, they they draft Brandon Ingram, and he has one of the worst rookie seasons that that we have ever seen. And then you know, they draft Lonzo Ball, and it was polarizing right from the get go. And the loudest noise probably came from his dad. So, like they they thought, wait, where's this? We're supposed to have a great player here somewhere. Like we're drafting, we're we're at the top of these drafts why why don't the lakers have greatness on their roster and eventually they just turned all of that not so greatness into the greatness that is anthony davis so this it's like not understanding where the success was going to come from was a completely foreign concept to the lakers fan base and you know the fact that they you go through something like that to now arrive back at the place where success might be you know you might be on the on the doorstep of success that's it, it feels a little bit more special because of that anthony i gotta correct you you said that like that it's always come on the back of a homegrown talent and the, like this one is too like alex caruso really <laughs> stepped up in the playoffs after look, look look he was in the g league with uh with you know the oklahoma city blue but the lakers discovered him and made him an nba player you know right. so like he really he as he sat in, behind tyler ennis and as yeah, he, he sat behind rajon rondo a year ago and as he that, sat that was behind just rajon to make rondo him tougher so that he was ready for like these playoff minutes like you know if you they can go through that you're ready for any adversity but like in all seriousness like like you mentioned like trading all of that greatness for anthony davis i think like there i think there could be more of a mercenary feel to this i felt like and i think there was a little bit at the beginning i feel like the city though has really embraced this team as all of it has gone on because everyone in the world is dealing with so much like hardship right now that I think it you it becomes easier to latch on to a sports team than it would in other times and I think the other factor there is like look like I don't want to be the guy that's like oh like Kobe's death really rallied this team together and makes it like a sports movie talking point cliche that like that's not what I'm saying here but like I do think that LeBron with the way you know, everyone saw the way that he spoke afterwards and like, like every time on, like paying homage to Kobe and stuff like that. I think that that really like ingratiated himself as a leader of this team to the fan base more. So again, like this is not me saying that's like a good thing that he had to say those things, but I think that the effect of it was that it ingratiated him more with this fan base and made him feel more like a Laker than maybe he ever had because like he was, he was, here he was talking about, like this great player that had come before him, how much respect he had for him, kind of rallying the city and like the fan base around the world at a time when I think everybody was looking for some hope and leadership. And like Jeannie Buss has even talked about how it did the same thing for the Lakers organization. Like I, I think that the way that he has gone about it has really united everyone behind this team as well as like you know like we were joking before we went on about like the we believe stuff and people picking against the lakers like (laughs) i do think that that stuff like what do sports fans like better than anything is like telling the media people that they were wrong about their takes and like i do think that that was kind of a rallying cry for like oh like we are smarter than you like this team like nobody believes in us everybody loves the nobody believes in us (laughs) that shit is so tedious i'm sorry i hate it so much um but that nobody it believes is, in us stuff. It is it is important though to know that and and fully grasp the the power of LeBron outside of basketball and how that relates to the way that people uh, you know relate to his basketball. Like there's an interconnectivity between having a person who's pretty good at finding the right words for the right situation. Yeah. Commands a lot of respect in all sectors of society is putting his 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 mouth and money if you will 
in places that have nothing to do with athletics, everything to do with education, everything to do with voting rights, things that matter on a much larger scale. So then all of a sudden you're a casual Lakers fan or maybe just an NBA fan from outside of Los Angeles, with which there are a lot of transplants in this city. And you find yourself being a little bit more, you know, the gravitational pull to someone like LeBron, who's such an outsized and ultimately influential and important personality is a hook. And then that just creates this even larger, already enormous, probably largest, one of the three largest fan bases in any sport in the country. Uh, it just makes it even bigger and even easier to, to you know, latch onto that plucky upstart Lakers team. God damn. I mean, These underdogs, is... they've really, they've really like overcome the, a lot of odds to get here, you know? Yeah, like, the, number, it, the number one seed in every series. Uh, <laughs> not avoiding the team that matches up best with them. Yeah, real, real avoidance. Picked against in every series, Mike. Picked yeah, but, against in every series. By somebody. By at least somebody. <laughs> by at least someone that we could dunk on later. Yeah, but it's funny you mentioned the LeBron. The LeBron in all seriousness, in all seriousness, I do think, uh, you know, he had this feel last year of like, I'm only here to make movies. And I, whether that was true or not, that was the feel of last year. And, you know, with a few things culminating, obviously, in the Kobe stuff and how eloquently he spoke at that Blazers game and thereafter and all this stuff, you know, it is clear that the Lakers value you being a Laker. And that first year, it just kind of felt like he was a dude playing in Los Angeles, not a Laker. And this year, through various circumstances, he felt like a Laker. I also just wonder, and like these these bigger... His coach was Luke Walton, by the way. It's hard to, like, it's hard to buy in when... That, that organization was frankly a mess. Like, well, you yeah. Tell, like that, Magic <laughs> no, Johnson, no frankly about it. <laughs> yeah, like, Magic Johnson takes off. Like no, I remember that day. We, I, I didn't even see it. There was no Woj bomb. There was nothing like that. It was just Magic Johnson is his call for a press conference where he's going to say he's out of here. And we had been sold on the fact that Magic Johnson was part of the reason why LeBron came here in the first place. And then like Luke Walton hires a bunch of his frat bros to be his, uh, <laughs> his, his assistant coaches. And you have the the mess that comes with that. You had a, a whole bunch of young, like this young core that who we the were being bros? told Wait, who? at some point, sure, yeah, maybe they'll. LeBron's buying into the young core. Yeah, okay, that lasted about. He's a, talking. A month he's talking about all the Arizona connections on Luke's staff, like that. It was. It was almost exclusively like University of Arizona. Was staff. it? Yeah, I honestly yes. don't remember. Huh? Yeah. I, I, I wish I didn't. I, you know, quite. You know, I, I wish I, I could just forget and move on from that stuff. But yeah, I, I think. I think the Lakers made it easier also for LeBron to commit to being a Laker. I think they were a joke when he showed up. And at that point, it's pretty easy to just say, all right, I'm going to focus on other stuff. Get your stuff, you know, get your shit in order. And then I will, then I'll commit to you guys. And I think we've seen some of that this year. What's interesting is we talk a lot about why the presence of LeBron, the Kobe stuff, all these bigger things have ingratiated LeBron to the city. I just think this team, there's a grittiness to it that I think Lakers fans appreciate. You know, they terrific defensively. They didn't take games off. They played really hard all regular season. They're big. They don't have a lot of this sort of spot up shooting. They don't play necessarily like sort of the same. I mean, frankly, the way they play is very different than the way Miami plays, which I think is one Mm -hmm. of the most interesting things about these finals. There is a grittiness to them. There's a low keyness to Frank Vogel that I think. You weren't sure how it was going to play out in preseason, but, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, I feel like just on a basketball sense, this team is easy to follow if you take away 
all the other stuff that got if you just focus on the 12 men on the team it's hard not to pull for a team that plays that gets as much out of their talent as they do well like la a lot of people think celebrity movie stars music entertainment all that stuff but la the vast majority of people living in la are working class you know it's it's the, the, the yes the celebrities get all the attention but the 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 biggest chunks of La- the Lakers fan base and the Dodgers fan base are you get you have a lot of immigrants you have a whole bunch of people who are working day jobs who like it's just and and while i understand that the the pull of the glitz and glamour of the fan base i think there are a lot of people who really associate themselves with the Alex Caruso's the the way Dwight Howard played against Jokic where his job was just to play physically with him and yeah, get in his head if he could, he couldn't, but he, he tried. <laughs> um, and, and I, I think with, I really wish we could get fans at these games because the games that I've attended as a fan, I sat up in the nosebleeds and there's a, I, I have a great story where basically the only thing that stopped somebody from stabbing a Celtics fan was the fact that it wasn't a Dodgers game. And he spent two months paychecks on that, <laughs> on that, on those tickets. Like, it's just, I, 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 I you know, the, if this, if this team could have been embraced more in person by the fan base, it'd be, it'd, it'd be a really cool kind of different vibe to it. And I also think like outside of the personalities and like, you know, like you mentioned Caruso and Dwight and like guys buying into their roles. Like it, it's, it's kind of like you said, Mike, like the basketball on the floor, like what fan doesn't want to get behind a defense first team? Like, I, I feel like it's not always the most entertaining thing for, I think like a national TV game. Like if you're not rooting for that team, you'd probably rather watch like a shootout or, or something mm-hmm. like that. But if you're rooting for a team, you want your team to win with defense. Like ever there, I think there's a lot of, I think people and fans place a lot of value in that quality from their team specifically. That's right. I mean, because it's, it, it, I use the term like defense travels. It doesn't have to travel right now, but day in and day out, that's a, a base level that gets you consistency. And it also shows, I think, to what Mike said about taking games off. A lot of teams, as part of their strategy, straight up in the NBA in 2020, that's part of the deal. That they're going to take <laughs> you said it, not exactly. me. But that's the point, right? That's the point. Uh, any Kawhi team, for that matter. And then that it worked last year with Toronto may be the reason why this Clippers team is just dissolved in front of our own eyes right now. It's because it's not necessarily replicable, replicable. And in terms of getting chemistry that is necessary for a deep playoff run, I'd argue it's very difficult to get that when you're playing a different starting five, two out of every four days that week. And the Lakers had consistency. Lakers also have role players who, and I think, and this is really important for the Rondo Dwight side of things, that they understood this was their last chance at greatness from yeah. a team standpoint, because they were cast away. They had become a little bit of pariahs despite being, you know, all decade level players in both of them, you know, in, in different ways, but having, having had success in different forms for their previous teams, in quite literally other lives and then coming to the Lakers, having someone again, like LeBron who kind of emanates the positionality of what you need to do guys like Danny green, uh, Contavious Caldwell Pope who already understood what their roles are. And then all of a sudden you have like a perfectly fit together team. And I think Vogel's always been really good at getting a lot out of role players, if not Mm. the opposite of what, you know, which is to say maybe not getting the most out of his stars. Um, And so I think all those things kind of came together nicely here. And then the bubble just cements all that because if it didn't work before you got in there, it wasn't going to start working. 
And if it was already working and you liked each other and the coach had the grip on the team and knew the pulse of his entire roster, I think what we've seen, and it's evidenced by the two teams in the finals, that it was going to be just, you know, hammered home. Um, And I can't think of two teams that have better chemistry, both on and off the court, than the Lakers and Heat in this NBA in 2020. And here they are playing each other in the final. Yeah, absolutely. I thought heading into the bubble that those teams that, you really saw pulling for each other on the sidelines because it's even a bigger bench. It's not, it's not, right. it's not enough that there aren't fans there, but it's a, it's like a whole the, VIP section. Like yeah. <laughs> well, the, the, the other thing that's important bouncer there. Yeah. The other thing is that it's pulled back from the court. So you have to be louder yes. to be, mm-hmm. to be able well, not really because there are no fans, but you're further removed from the playing surface. You know, I thought it was really there was definitely moments in that Lakers in the Nuggets series where they're yelling at the corner three point shooters. I was like, yeah, that's nice. I like seeing that regular season stuff. But you it's know, also, all, all it's that funny stuff to is see true. them go wild on the sidelines like that too. Like there was one moment I think it was against Houston when like Javale literally fell over the stanchion. Like he was he was celebrating so hard <laughs> yeah, after I think like a Marquise right. Morris three. Like like they really have a lot of but like you couldn't do that in an NBA game. You'd get a technical for coming onto the court during play. Like they they can actually like really just jump up and down and dance with each other. And like I think that does lead to more chemistry if you already actually like each other. Well, I, I think one of the things that I was going to pay close attention to as the bubble was kicking off was the number of times their the opponent complains about how loud the bench gets, you know, and <laughs> and like there have been a few tweets from other teams beat reporters, just like man, the Lakers sure do like to talk their trash in their corner of the court. It's like, yeah. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> if it's a market inefficiency, take advantage of it. Go for it. And, and I think like what we saw, because the Clippers tried to do it too, but they're such front runners that it felt almost fake <laughs> as they were doing it. And, and I think with, with uh, Miami, I think you see like Myers Leonard hasn't sat down since he got to Orlando. It's he true. may as well be shotgunning beers on the side of the, on, on the sideline over there too. He's having a blast. And I, think, <laughs> I wish. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, but I think like that, that chemistry, that, 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 you know, culture is a term that has been thrown around a lot, especially regarding the heat. But, but the, I, I do think that these things that tend to get overlooked in most years where I think we've figured out a better way to analytically uh, figure out this sport in the bubble, it's so different from everything else that you have to take, uh, I think, that those intangibles, those indefinable parts of the game, they take on larger meaning. And, and yeah, I agree completely with Ben that it doesn't feel like that big a coincidence that it's Miami and, and the Lakers, two teams that really define themselves with culture and, and with buy-in and with sacrifice, that those are the, the last two teams remaining. So it's... it's- all that I think is very true, and uh, you can definitely see it. And to your Clippers example, like the reason it didn't feel right is that the most important players weren't doing that. Yeah, that's a good point. So that's you know, point. you look at—I mean, Miami, the Jimmy Butler. Kawhi's like, shut up, Patrick. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, he and everyone else, but that's here <laughs> there. But um, this isn't—I mean, this is I mean, the Heat way is something that's been built over many years, you know with this hierarchy, this is not, I don't think, I mean, I don't want to go back in time, but I did not expect the Lakers to be the team that had the best sort of most together chemistry, got the most out of their parts type of team coming into the season. They certainly were that weren't that in LeBron's first year. Mm -hmm. Um, It has turned out that they have been. And so I pose it to you guys. Like, why do you think that happened? 
I think, uh, like, if I can go first on this one, Anthony, like, I I think uh, a big part of that was if you go back to last summer and you go back to Anthony Davis's introductory press conference, like, they they did it after, like, free agency was kind of mostly over, like, you know, they were able to consummate the trade. So, like, all that stuff was done so they could talk about it. And one of the things that they were talking about, and, like, Rob Palenka volunteered this, like, their general manager, that he was calling Anthony Davis and LeBron James every single day about, like, roster moves. They were calling players, almost every player, when you talk to them, when they did their introductory phone calls, would say that either LeBron or Anthony Davis or both were really calling them and trying to get them to come to the team. Like, I know that that happens in the NBA, but I don't know that like one through 15 necessarily that that really happened. Like, I think the only guy that maybe didn't get that I don't remember mentioning they got a call was Alex Caruso. Like, and he got <laughs> and done now, pretty quickly in free agency and is more of a Lakers project anyway. Like, yeah. I and now LeBron, he's- LeBron has his phone number now, right? Like I'm that, assuming we, so, yeah. yeah. I mean, look, that point. he's now LeBron's favorite teammate, right? Yeah, I, I mean, I think so. Like, he's, he's one of his most sure. successful ones for sure, and they have great chemistry. But, like, I, I think that when you let – like that much when you get that much ownership from stars as far as like giving them ownership letting them help construct this roster and it's almost like when you were in ele- in elementary school and like you got picked for like like in a game of dodgeball or in a game of pickup or something like that like it feels good to be picked and so for i think there's a little bit of an intangible benefit for that you also saw lebron i think buy in more as like a as like a culture setter i think when he came in the first year it was more of like i'm not going to step on magic's toes i'm not going to step on luke's toes and you can read some of it as passive aggression a little bit too but like some of it for sure I think was you know the former part and this year he like did the mini camp in Vegas that he traditionally does every single year they didn't do that the year prior got everybody together before the season started before training camp started and you've seen this team yeah they don't have the long-standing culture like the hashtag culture stuff that you mentioned with the heat where they've built this reputation and they've built this mm-hmm. culture over years and years with Pat Riley and Eric Spolstra but uh, like no matter who's on the roster but the Lakers I think were very quickly able to build it up kind of organically and again I don't know how like sustainable this is once LeBron and AD are no longer the best players I don't know if this is some new thing that they've built up that's going to last forever but for this year I think it's really worked and like I also think Frank Vogel has been a big part of that like he is fairly egoless in the way that he's come in very much deferred to LeBron and AD goes over like discusses everything from practice times to rotations to how much they want to play with them like he's not a guy that came in and tried to tell them what to do he saw them very much as partners and I think when you put all of that together and everyone feels like an equal partner in like kind of the enterprise it's a little bit easier to get that chemistry and cohesion I'd add to that a couple things one I think it's it's made the the culture a lot more organic and natural how well LeBron and AD fit together individually like as superstars they might fit together better than any other kind of superstar duos in 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 NBA history you know they they can literally you can run sets that both of them benefit from because of Mm. their presence in that set you mean on the Uh, court is particularly because obviously LeBron and Wade were very close off the court but on right right I just I just mean on the court yeah, yeah, yeah 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 I see what you're saying uh and then, and then the other thing too uh, is is with with just about every Laker involved here, especially every key Laker, going all the way up to ownership. Everybody had a humbling experience in common, right? The entire Lakers organization they signed LeBron James, and it's one of the most chaotic seasons they've had ever. 
And, you know, the, the, the icon, a lot of people in a lot of people's minds, the greatest Laker of all time failed miserably as an executive and, and walked away in shame. That was Jeannie Buss's hire. That was her first, that was her first move is, is the, the, the shot caller. Uh, LeBron James it arrives in LA and the anticipation is, yeah, they're probably going to win a couple championships while he's here. He didn't even make the playoffs and yeah, he got hurt and stuff like that. And that stuff that all goes into the math, but that had to be uh, a, a humbling experience for him too. Anthony Davis, like by the time the trade finally happened, New Orleans was like, "Fine, get out of here." Like they <laughs> yeah. were, they would have worn that's all folks shirts too if they could have. <laughs> that was going to so, be their jersey patch this year, but it got rejected by the NBA. Mm. Yeah, and and I think as Harrison mentioned, like Frank Vogel is already a pretty humble person, but he was the third or fourth choice that the Lakers had for head coaching. So. I think all of these people kind of understanding that they all have a lot to do, a lot of work to do in terms of their perception and, and figuring out that the best way to, to accomplish the, that, that goal was to actually come together and work together and find that commonality amongst each other. That's, that's I think, something that's really been a, a big factor in, in a, a Lakers team that like you don't normally associate with culture. Like that's no. not something that you would. Other I don't than, think people like, do still. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it, and for a fair reason, I think you know, it's 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 where you know ring chasers go, and it's where superstars flock to because that's where they can take the next step in their on and off court brand situation. Uh, it's not somewhere that builds something from the bottom up, from the ground up. And, and, and arrives at a place where like the Miami Heat are, or even the Denver Nuggets are where the Lakers just, you know, beat them in, in the Western conference like that, that type of team building doesn't, you don't normally associate with that with the Lakers. But I think, uh, I think this, when they showed up and all of them had a lot to prove, I think they all kind of rallied around that theme together. That's a fair assessment. I think it's important to kind of also you know, you have to note the way the city was this year as well. This was the first time I can remember where the Clippers had higher expectations than the Lakers. Mm, um, that's a good point. That's a much different dynamic than the city's used to. Quite literally, it's usually right. the Lakers have a set of expectations and the Clippers have a basketball season. To play. Right. It's or, like, like the, I mean, at we least believe when the Lakers I mean, were that's, good. That was our shirts is right, right from the yeah. get-go. The Lakers were the We Believe Lakers because well, we had such a juggernaut <laughs> in, the, in the Clippers right next door or but in it, the same house. It is true. I think that's a really good point, actually, the, the battle of L.A. element. and Because um, when the Clippers were really good early in the decade, the Lakers were a joke. So yeah. it's not a fair comparison, but just sort of this anticipation of this matchup, like Ben said, that's coming down the pike. And frankly, the Clippers were the team that was getting most of the platitudes compared to the Lakers. I I think I said they would win 65 games. <laughs> <laughs> Little did we know they didn't care about about 45 games this season. So yeah. <laughs> hurt for the heads. But I think I think it's also like really – fascinating and, and ultimately like probably speaks to a larger sports psychology dynamic but like i think lebron brings a culture into himself and if you buy in you probably are going to go to the nba finals just statistically speaking right mm -hmm. 10 of the last 11 seasons i guess that's where we're at and a guy like frank vogel saw that firsthand in the eastern conference it'd be almost short-sighted to push back on some of the aspects of of that relationship and then i also think that Look, Anthony Davis won a national championship in college being the best defensive player in college basketball. 
which is to say that he had a horrible offensive game in the national title. I think he may have had like nine mm-hmm. or 11 points or something like that, but he had some teens amount of rebounds and yeah. five blocks. I remember that but, game. He dominated yeah. that game completely, but did it entirely without having right. to score zero. Yeah. The only other, the only other person I've really seen that's done that is like, if you watch like some Brianna Stewart games where she's not shooting well, like you get that, but that was incredible. Sure. I remember like the, there's very few players who could have done that. Exactly. And so it's like you already have an understanding that these guys can dominate. Like LeBron can dominate a game like also without scoring. Now, it's important that he does get his offensive licks in. But he's a, a pass first, highly intellectual, highly emotionally intellectual player on the court. And I, I think throughout his career, we've always been able to attribute like a 10 to 15 percent bonus to every role player he's played with. Like, if you buy in, if you buy in, if you if you buy if you buy in, that's right. If you buy in, and so I think about a guy like Caruso, who's clearly smart enough to understand how am I going to stay in this league and succeed in this league. I think if, I think Caruso is sort of like almost like what Ron Harper in a weird way did for the Bulls in the '90s, or absolutely I mean, not, not to do the white guy white guy thing, but like Dovadova bought in and it really extended his helped make him have a place in this league in a very similar like Delhi with hops. Delhi with hops, <laughs> yeah. the athletic. That's and that's where Ron Harper comes. Well, in. I, kind of built like. Yeah, but to like, make a cross-racial comparison, Mario yeah. Chalmers. Sure, but he's bigger. Like, Chris yeah. is not a big guy. And so, like, the point is, like, these players all kind of felt that gravitational pull, whether that was to the cultural aspect outside or, again, between the lines where it's like, this is the most cerebral player to ever play the game. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what he's asking me to do and have a coach who's willing, again, and this is where the power and ego dynamic that Vogel doesn't have is super important and beneficial is that he's not sitting there being like, well, they're not running my system right now. Like, <laughs> you know, Could you imagine matter. if he went to LeBron and he's like, LeBron, you're not running it. You're not running the offensive set that I called out there. <laughs> exactly. I called for a KCP handoff, LeBron. What are you doing? <laughs> exactly. And then, he's and like, yeah, but Jason Kidd called for this. So <laughs> I'm just, this is, this is, you laugh, but this is exactly what David Blatt did with LeBron. <laughs> Yeah, basically. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's kind of the problem. I think it's yeah. a great point. Um, let's take a quick break, and then I want to talk a little bit about this finals matchup because I'm kind of not sure what to think, and I'm curious what you guys think. We'll be right back here on the Limited Upside podcast. The wait is finally over. Football is back. Holy crap. Football is back? That, that really snuck up on me. Anyway, you might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get on, the, on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get on, on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all those great sign up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, B-L-U-E-W-I-R-E, all one word. BetOnline, your online sports experts. Time is of the essence with the Prada family. We've got a two-and-a-half-year-old toddler who is rambunctious and wild and all the great things that toddlers are. We've also got a seven-month pregnant wife who is working currently, uh, so she's a superstar. And then you have me, who isn't exactly the best cook in the world. So you know what's been really nice is having DoorDash there to order food 
when everything else in our life is going nuts, we just want to find something nice to eat for that night and get us through to the next day. DoorDash is the app that brings the food, you the food you're craving right to your door, and it's been a lifesaver for so many nights for us during the week. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely, out, safely outside your door with a new contactless delivery drop-off setting. Choose from your favorite restaurants. I'll shout out the main event in Plainview, one of our favorite places to go before the pandemic, and now a nice place to order from on DoorDash. But you can also get other national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, Cheesecake Factory, or you can get some of your local favorites. Just open the DoorDash app, select your favorite spot, and your food is on the way. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on the first order of $15 or more when they download the DoorDash app and enter code BLUEWIRE. That's $5 off your your order and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code BLUEWIRE. Don't forget, that's code BLUEWIRE, B-L-U-E-W-I-R-E, for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. Limited Upside Podcast, uh, NBA Finals are tomorrow. We're recording this on the day before the NBA Finals. I don't know what date it is. Ben Epstein <laughs> is here, uh, and two of our favorite guests from past shows, uh, from Silver Screen and Roll, Harrison Fagan, Anthony Irwin. Gentlemen, the NBA Finals matchup is the Miami Heat. And I got to be honest, I have no feel for this series. I feel like I've had a pretty good feel for every Finals. Really, since 2011, I was wrong on 2014. But otherwise, like I thought Toronto was going to win last year. I thought Miami was going to beat Oklahoma City in 2012. You know, I don't have a really good feel for this matchup. But listening to you guys on your podcasts and in your writing, you guys seem quite confident that Miami cannot match up with this Lakers team they don't have enough talent um where's that confidence come from for me personally it's it's how these series have gone historically like the 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 big conversation that was was going on over the last couple days is yes LeBron and AD are the two best players but then the next five players and you know in terms of overall caliber that you list are going to be Miami Heat players and then you might get to like KCP or Alex Caruso or playoff Rondo or whatever, you know, Uh, (laughs) but for, you you can't skip over the first part though. We love to look at depth and it's a great way to sound super intelligent to, to be able to identify the X factor. But the, 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 the way that these series have been won through basically all of my lifetime and all of NBA history has been, the superstars from the winning team outshone the other team's best players. And uh, the only team that that didn't happen that I can remember was that Shaq and Lakers team that lost to the Detroit Pistons that legitimately hated each other. And I don't think, as we just talked about, right. AD and LeBron legitimately hated What about 2011 with LeBron's first year in Miami? Dirk well, was really I good think, that playoffs. To be fair, like he was on kind of another level. Yeah, no, but yeah I, I, I mean, absolutely. I mean, but that's but that's all, like we're we're identifying outliers, right? Yeah, like we're we're talking two or three years out of the last fifty. You know, that, like, 2014 when they beat the Heat. Yeah, what about 2014? Yeah. What about what about Toronto last year? I mean, I know Kawhi was we now see as the best player, but I mean Steph Curry was still healthy in that series. I mean, but but 
Kevin Durant tears his ACL. Clay Come Thompson on, Clay messes his, up his yeah. knee. Toronto was winning that series before Clay tore his ACL. I'm just saying. Well, but but the I I mean I, 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 I get would, what I get like what you're see that play out. Like I, I would like to see that play out. But also they had been into the fi- in the finals like how many straight years in What's a row? Like so I mean, in Miami again. Like Katie apparently legitimately hated everybody around him. Yeah. So, okay. Well, uh, I guess I, it makes sense what you're saying. So basically, what you're saying is that the Lakers have the two best players in the series. They're two top six players in the league. Let's not overthink this. Um, I also think. Also, like, I also think like while you can list the next five Miami Heat players before you get to a Lakers player, I think by the time you get to like the third and fourth Miami Heat player, the gaps start to really shrink. Like I, I think people are, are have have kind of really overlooked how well KCP has played this year, and yeah. and also what the Lakers role players have to do for the Lakers to be successful is significantly you're asking significantly less of them than Miami is asking of their role players. Yeah, so like to that point, Ben, I, I actually thought that you used a really good phrase earlier in saying that the this Lakers team has like a really high floor in terms of like their bot like their defense just basically it allows them to have a much higher art margin for error than you would otherwise. Like, I, you know, Mike and Anthony, like you already heard me say this on the podcast yesterday, but like the Lakers record when they should, like they're undefeated in these playoffs when they shoot 30% or better from three, like that's insane that they can shoot like 30% is not even good. And like they're undefeated as long as they're above that. Like I, I just think that when you have two stars of LeBron and Anthony Davis's caliber, and you have, you know, like, uh, like you have that matchup going into the series, and like you have the defense that this team has been able to get together and play. Like I just think that that gives you, you know, to use Ben's term, like a really high floor. And so they just have like pretty much everyone just has to do what they're expected or supposed to do, and you're going to be able to scrape by even sometimes in close games. That said. Like, you know, I I was thinking about this today. I do like I have I acknowledge the fact that there will be a game in this series where the Lakers shoot below 30 percent from three and they will lose like and everybody will freak out. And like that's going to happen at some point during this series, maybe maybe twice. Like they are not an incredible shooting team. And I think that that is an area where Miami, especially with that zone, is going to be able to exploit them. But I still think just like with the star power and with how good their defense is and like how they basically I know Miami's run through the playoffs, too, but it's in a weaker conference against like more fraudulent stars. And like, I I think, um, hold on, hold on, hold hold on. The Miami has definitely played better teams in this run than than the Lakers have. I'm just taking a shot at Giannis. Come on. I mean, hey, we we got to get our shots in with Giannis before he go. He actually signs with the Lakers. Just like, yeah, like just like, uh, <laughs> yeah, just like you know, non fraudulent star James Harden. <laughs> I mean, fair. Um, and current Russell, Russell Westbrook, Westbrook too. Yeah. yeah, Ben, are you are you as bullish on the Lakers as these two are? Uh, no, I'm not. I, I no, I'm not. I think that he'd have a. I wouldn't call it a coin like a coin flip. I think that I would say it's like a 60-40% chance in my head Lakers win to the Heat, but it's a lot closer than I than I think um and this is not because, you know, I've been watching Eastern Conference basketball more than the Western Conference. I've been watching both. The nice thing about the bubble and being on Pacific Coast time here, everything's watchable for me. I like to go yep. to bed early. Um and so uh you know, th- this has been cool. very yeah, it's yeah. I don't have a young child like a few of the people on this podcast. Mm, um, yes. <laughs> sleep is still something I, I get. Um, but uh, <laughs> so, so, but with that in mind, like yeah, I, I look at this in a really interesting way. The the home and road splits on superstars 
have a lot less variance. The home and road splits on your third, fourth, fifth, sixth best players, your role guys, or your slightly elevated role players, that's the biggest variance in, in basketball. Uh, and that's where a team who can start five NBA All-Stars like like the Warriors have an enormous advantage. You almost knew what you were going to get home or away. I think the Raptors had a lot of that in them last year, too. Um, despite not having necessarily stars, superstars around Kawhi, yeah. they had bona fide veterans who were not afraid and to, to play on. Yeah, and despite winning Game Four on the road against Philly, Game Five on the road yeah. against Milwaukee, and then both games on the road. I'm sorry, I I, I love that Raptors team. I will not tolerate any disrespect. <laughs> uh, you, I'm not. I'm giving the opposite. I'm giving them all the respect right now. Yeah. That's to say that, like, that's to say that in the bubble, that thing that just all goes out the window. So your KCP. Uh, a relatively streaky shooter throughout his career finds a comfort in on one court that he's played on now for multiple months straight. And he's shooting well above uh, at least the KCP that I remember probably since early on. <laughs> it's, the, been, it's better than the KCP we remember. <laughs> yeah, that's, right, that's right. But that, but that translates to all of these players who, who I think actually, and this is where it benefits the heat a little bit more. All of a sudden your Robinson's your heroes Crowder, Igudala in game five or game six just now. Like all mm. of a sudden these guys are hitting multiple threes. When you can extend your uh call it your um I don't know, offensive acumen from one game to another and not have like what we would consider like starting pitcher value of of a uh, baseball where like your your momentum is your starting pitcher or your momentum is we just won two home games, but now we're playing our first road game. I think that's had a lot of effect on these playoffs. I think it's also shown where a team who doesn't have nearly as much depth, uh, like maybe a Bucks or fuck it, the Sixers, or, or Boston, or, you know, or Boston's a great mm-hmm. example. Yeah, all of a sudden, you know, Boston's really only as good as the best that Brown and Tatum can play in the same game. And you saw Kemba's knee injury kind of detract from his explosiveness, and he became just an off-ball shooter. So I think about this series a lot, and I've been thinking about it nonstop since it became pretty apparent to me about uh, game four, game five, whatever it was, the, the when they went three, one in the uh, Celtics series. And that was to say that I think the heat are a really weird matchup. Jimmy Butler's an interesting physical matchup. Bam's an interesting physical matchup. I love the battle of Kentucky there too. With yeah. Bam versus- <laughs> mm-hmm. Did you, um, did you see the stat by the way, that this will be the first year that a Kentucky player has ever won a national championship uh, NBA title. That can't, or, or sorry, un- under Cal Perry. Oh, okay. 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 Yeah, okay. I was gonna say, like, Under I Cal was, like, been good for a long time. Yeah. Like, what am I saying? Under Calipari, <laughs> yeah. this will be yeah. the first time okay. a Calipari player will have won a national title. And he's and he's got well, because Rondo didn't play for him, I suppose. But yeah, yeah, he's got a long list of them now playing or whatever. Four of them in, in this matchup alone, but uh, five total Kentucky, whatever it is. But yeah, I think like I'm, I can isolate the the star players as Anthony did, and I think there's a lot of credence to that. The best players have generally speaking they're the ones who win the title the team who has the two of the five best players specifically these are two-way guys as well we're not talking about a james harden or a Giannis where the game has to be built around his abilities they can mutate to, to fix into whatever they throw at them i think there's a lot of interest in my in my head of what spo is going to do he's probably the best in-game and then next game coach uh, yeah. in these playoffs might uh, see a lot of zone him. A lot of zone, I bet. So it's like a, and then, and all of a sudden, a zone matchup that makes what you do with your bigs, if you're the Lakers, a lot more interesting because, in theory, you want to have more spacing. The Lakers are better when they can provide the double big with AD. And so, like, I'm I'm very curious about all the X's and O's. This also leads me to, like, a follow. I want to throw a question at Prada because this is his kind of side of the aisle. If I'm saying it's 60 40, Lakers 60% chance, Heat 40% chance. 
what is it in Prada in your mind? What's the X's and O's things we should be looking at, like the individual matchups within these matchups that are going to decide how you see the percent of, of the you know the winner yeah. here or the most likely to happen? Because this is, I know you've been focusing like nonstop. I this is why I have no feel for this series. Neither <laughs> of these teams have played a team remotely like each other in a long time. The hmm. Heat have not played a team that p- dominates inside like the Lakers do. And the Lakers have not played – all three of the teams that they have played have been built on ball screen action or ISO action with a guard or a two-man action in Denver's case. They have not played a team in a long time that is so motion-heavy, so off-ball heavy, um, so in the dribble handoff game. Um, and, of course, they haven't played a team that is can zone them, that will get back. But on the same time, Miami has not played a team where there is a fi- they have a physical disadvantage. I mean, Milwaukee was bigger, but they didn't play bigger with their stars, and they played a lot of small stuff. And only later in the series did they really exploit Giannis's size advantage. Boston is a smaller team, especially in the front court. I mean, Bam really physically manhandled those guys mm-hmm. and was really great at sort of. I mean, he was like sort of the matchup nightmare in that series he was the difference he was the difference between a team i mean boston more talent everywhere else on the roster they outplayed miami everywhere else i thought but bam was the guy was the difference now bam's not going to be going up against anthony davis and dwight howard and maybe javel probably not as much javel and i just don't know what that looks like in one way or the other i mean you mentioned the zone thing that's interesting i mean the one thing i would worry about if i'm playing zone against him is that i mean if dwight's in the game you're going to get killed on the glass and mm-hmm. they especially a- the way that they're playing their zone too with their wings up top right guards down low it's very much a zone that's built to beat a team like boston or built mm-hmm. to beat a team like milwaukee that is so perimeter oriented so i just don't have a really good feel as to like sort of i'm very curious how game one goes because it, i just don't think these teams have really played a team like the other one and so really the question to me then becomes is there any way for the lakers to stay big and still run around with all of Miami's off-ball motion. I think that's really what the, the series is going to be. Because I think as much as uh, – LA can win the series if they downsize. But I do think that their biggest advantage over Miami will be on the glass, pounding the ball inside, playing sort of funnel the ball, get out to the shooters, don't let Jimmy Butler and Bam kind of do things inside, make them a perimeter team, and then run off those misses. Weirdly, I think it benefits the Lakers if they stay big. And if they go small, I think then Miami might have a little more of a shot. I just I have no feel for how that's going to play out. And and making – and this is the other – like the Anthony Davis defensive X factor that I was kind of getting into with how he won the national title in Kentucky. But like Anthony Davis had – and Adam Morris talked about this when we had him on prior to the last podcast. But like he was most nervous about Davis disrupting Jokic and, and the combination of bigs disrupting Jokic's mm-hmm. flow – then he was about, you know, Davis getting his 30, 40 or hitting the game winner. Or whatever. Right. Obviously, both of those things happened. But yeah, I was going to say, you should have worried about both. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's, 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 pretty good yeah. it's the same issue, though, is what you're saying yeah. now with Bam. That's exactly right. That's he, he could really dis- – like, Bam became such an integral part, playmaking part of the Heat's offense in a way that I think in the last three months, it probably accelerated him from a much different stratosphere of NBA player. Uh, he went from like very good young player to like burgeoning superstar. No, he, he was uh, unbelievable in that game six. I, I was yeah, blown probably, away. 
it looked like every summer league run or, or everything I saw at hacks where you would see like a Danny Granger 10 years ago, who was about the same height, about the same size as bam, more of a perimeter player, but it was just like grab, go isolate on a big. And, and that, that big, the entire time felt uncomfortable. Yeah. Anthony Davis isn't going to feel uncomfortable guarding at a bio. If he's bringing the ball up. No. The other thing is at a bio with two, three fouls becomes a much less physical player. He becomes a much less prominent player right. on both sides of the ball. AD can really do a lot of damage there and bringing him further away from the hoop, making him guard out. Now all of a sudden there's nothing around the rim. There are no, and the Lakers mid- will might... hunt those fouls for sure. Like yes. they've done that in every series so yeah. far, like especially mm-hmm. with Absolutely. Davis, cause he's a good free throw shooter. Like they will try Jokic, and get your poor Jokic, like going. had to play out there with like yeah. walking on eggshells. He, yeah. Yeah. By yeah. the end of the series, he was really concerned about his yeah. foul trouble. But see, here's the pro here's the, here's the counter argument to all that you're saying. One, the Heat are much more disciplined than those teams. They don't foul as often. They don't turn the ball over as often. They won't beat themselves. The Lakers really got a lot out of just parading to the free throw line against Denver and against Houston and against Portland. That will be much harder to do. Number two, Bam goes back to – well, okay, let's start. Let's split this up into two points. I don't know if Bam will guard AD one-on-one what i think will probably end up happening is that jake crowder will probably take ad one-on-one and they'll use bam as like a floor shrinker and try to do what they do i talked about it in my piece when about how they stifle Giannis. i call them stunt doubles but it's really just simple like kind of they really collectively will shrink the floor i know everybody has tried to do that against the lakers and failed miami may have the personnel to get it done so they're just a better defense than any any of the lakers have played so far. yes absolutely and i so I don't know. That might be a way to keep Bam out of foul trouble. Um, number th- and, and and one of the ways the Celtics went at Bam that I thought was successful was a way that I don't know if the Lakers can, which is they would sort of get him to switch on the guard and then they'd swing the ball to another playmaker to drive. And the Lakers just, I mean, that that's not really how they play. So, and then number three, if Anthony Davis is guarding Bam, which I frank, I also don't think that's a great matchup to have because. If that's happening, then you're you're pro- you're already surrendering some of your size disadvantage because like presumably are you going to put Dwight or Javale and Jay Crowder or Yadala or whoever you play at the four? I think the Lakers' best chance in this series is actually to have AD and LeBron not guarding either Bam or Jimmy and playing in the sort of passing to make all those sorts of little movements around the court those lubricant plays those screens the passes just all that stuff to shrink the floor on all that on the weak side that i think is their best hope and i was watching their game in december when they played and i think that was they got off to you know there's so much about that game that's different there's no Dragic, no kuzma no Igadala, no crowder i mean myers leonard started but the difference in the game ultimately was eventually LeBron and AD just shrunk the weak side and it was really hard for Miami to create offense. That I think is their key to success. And so if AD is erasing Bam, I think it almost is like a, what's the term? Like you're, you're losing the bat, you're winning the battle, lose the war. But that's where I wonder if maybe Bam, I know like one V one theoretically AD is like the guy that Bam would have struck would struggle with, but I don't know how much they're actually going to be matched up. Yeah, I think it's the kind of thing you'll see in like big possessions. Right. Right. Like especially if Bam is lighting up Dwight or lighting up DeVale, then you'll see one of LeBron and AD go out there and say, All right, enough of this. You know, but but I think they'll they'll probably start games with Dwight on Bam and then have A D play more of a rover role. Especially if Iguodala is on the court, then you don't have to worry as much about him punishing from punishing from the outside. Uh 
the other thing too, the Lakers have done a really good job this year of understanding who to run off the three point line. And what makes hero actually a difficult, a, a more difficult cover is that he can take a dribble inside of the three point and still be a threat uh, in, in the mid range. Whereas, you know, when they played Houston, if you ran them off the line, all you had to do is beat them to the rim. Right. And if you played, uh, if you played Denver, right. And you ran, any of their non Jamal Murray shooters off of the three point line asking like Paul Mills have to dribble. Isn't something that you're particularly concerned about. Miami presents a couple shooters who can, if they're running off, if they're run off the three point line actually still hurt you in the mid range or in the floater game and stuff like that. I think that's going to be an adjustment that the Lakers make, but I think the Lakers are pretty well equipped in having guys I mean, multiple guys who who you can just say, all right, don't let Duncan Robinson get off. Don't let Tyler Hero get off. And then force Jimmy and Bam to beat you with their mid-range game. Keep them away from the glass. And 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 I think I think defensively, the Lakers like I, <laughs> this might be kind of a throwback series where you don't really see the super high scoring games. Like, this might be one of those like ugly 2000s like yeah first I mean, series yeah. that were just yeah, i was gonna say like Nets, to watch. spurs, or spurs yeah. pistons or something like yeah but but I, I, mean, I, I think that might be what we, we we might lead to the other thing too is that like the lakers love to run off of those off of their stops so that might inflate the scores a little bit miami's really good to watch the whole it sounds like you haven't watched a whole lot of eastern conference playoff basketball because these Damn. scores have been lower and tighter and and defensive oriented i mean I, I, the celtics raptors series uh the, the heat celtics series well, not not game six i mean but, more like in yeah, like comparison yeah, to like the recent final series for sure, not, not for the sure. final like the, the i got you. On the East and there. that's true I, I i buy into that i i also like i i love the idea too that there's so much pat riley emphasis in this because pat riley has been able to sit back and architect the seed team multiple times now obviously and i think lakers fans still hold him in high regard mm-hmm. and he's a kentucky guy so we just can put the whole circle you know around <laughs> this all um but i guess i i want to get back to mike real quick mike you you said you don't have a good feel where are you leaning like what i know where i, I know where, i know harrison anthony we'll get them on the record again i gotta be on the record a million times but where are you at I don't mean to cop out with this question, but like, like I've had, I've come into this bubble, like trying to keep an open mind with all these series because so much of the basketball is different. So many Mm -hmm. of the circumstances are different. I thought Miami would struggle with Indiana. I thought that Milwaukee would figure them out. I thought Boston would figure them out. I've been wrong on all counts. I don't, it's still hard for me to wrap my brain around Miami being the team that they have become. Uh, And, you know, it's when you consider the bubble and all these other factors, like I'm purposely trying not to lean a certain way because I don't want that to retroactively affect my analysis. To me, so I watched the game in December and I, you know, even though there were so many different players, it was interesting to me how the game basically turned on the Lakers just being too big for Miami. And if anything, Miami has downsized since then. Yeah. You know, they, mm-hmm. they don't play. I mean, I mean, Chris Silva played a lot of minutes in that game. I don't think that's going to happen in the finals. But <laughs> um, it was just interesting to me that, like, at a certain point, like, they couldn't keep the Lakers off the glass. They couldn't, you know, st- it just became really difficult. And, and and not just on offense. Like, defensively, their size on the weak side was a real problem after I think the Lakers played a really poor first half. Um, 
And then it, you know, it, it was also surprising to me. Like, I mean, Miami is such a good team at getting back and defense. And like, I don't know if that's going to be an issue in this series with the tempo, but Lakers were able to run pretty well in that game too. I just absent. I have, I really, again, I have no really good feel for this, but I just, my, I think that it might just turn on the Lakers being too big for Miami. I mean, that, it was, like that, a couple... was the translation there like I don't want to pick against Miami again, so I'm not going to do it. I haven't picked anything. I'm just. <laughs> I mean, I said <laughs> I thought what I thought what? would happen to them. <laughs> ben says there's 40 percent chance the Lakers lose. So Harrison, all I'm saying is we get more we believe stuff. Like, that's yeah, all, that's, that's what I'm I've saying. Heard. I'm trying to go. I'm trying to go to you guys <laughs> into picking the Heat definitively so that we can we believe you later. I, <laughs> I think I think Miami will win one of the first two games, and it'll be a long series, but. Um, yeah, I don't know. I have, again, I have no real good feel for this. You know, there, it's actually kind of funny. Like I wrote about it on the newsletter, like the four teams we got in the conference finals and by proxy, the two teams we got here are just all so different that it's been really fun to see Mm -hmm. the unexpected happen. I mean, these are, these are teams built very differently that play very differently, that are very differently hierarchically. Like when you look at, these teams that were sort of built with these very different types of players. Uh, it's, it's just kind of interesting to see how this, and in a very different environment. Like, I mean, Anthony, you were saying, you know, this, the rules of the finals are that the Stars win. I always have had a problem with that because, one, we make up the rules as we go later, so there's a lot of hindsight bias in that, I think, sometimes. <laughs> like, take 2012 when LeBron beat the Thunder. I mean, before the series, it, most people were picking Oklahoma City, and they had more talent. But now that LeBron won that series, like it, it retroactively looks different. Um, I just think there's a little bit of hindsight bias in this, and that obviously we think they're better players because they won, and then the logic gets a little circular. But mm. also, like the bubble is just different. Like these playoffs are different. And one of the things that the Lakers do really well is they mask their 3 through 12 to enhance their 1 through 2. One of the things that the Heat do well is make it seem like they have an endless – supply of bodies i don't really know which is going to win out in this environment i think it's going to be really tough to see um i think it'll be a very interesting tactical series i agree probably a little ugly um and i probably 64 is about where i'm at too who's on drawing what's the ideal what's the ideal matchup because obviously having watched now the heat play for a few months straight Dragic is playing at a level that probably hasn't ever been on even including his all-star year mm-hmm. he has such an incredible control for the pace of the game i feel like I feel like Jimmy and and Dragic, despite how great Bam has been and how you know Heroes had his coming out party, et cetera, the pace of the game, both in the half court sense uh, as well as when things break down, it, it's Jimmy and and it's um, it's Dragic, and so like and, and both of them live in that mid range world too, which Anthony was talking about. Like you're not walking Dragic off the three point; he could hit it but he's more than happy to hit the pump fake mm-hmm. and hit you with a floater or make the best open pass. Same thing with Jimmy. Jimmy is a reluctant three-point shooter. Yeah. He's a reluctant shooter in general. If you're running him off the three-point line, it's a mistake. Yep. It's a, that's right. You want him to take that. That's exactly right. And so I, I wonder how that is so different than the previous series like Portland and Houston where it was like these are the identified three-point shooters. And in Houston's case, we're all three-point shooters. <laughs> um, and so it's like it is such a different dynamic one of the things that makes basketball so great is there is no one way to play it. And then when you get two teams that look at it from almost completely different points of view, um, you just get a really combustible situation. You get what should be a really fun series as a neutral fan here. Let me start that over. 
as a Lakers fan living in Los Angeles. Oh, now you're a Lakers fan? Come on. Look, I'm just saying they've been to the finals apparently every year you've lived there. I think you like I think you missed it's your true. calling. Like uh, But you, you're true. right. You're right though. The the shock to the system element is on both sides here, which is very unique yeah. for basketball. You don't really like I think a lot about the first I, I thought the Lakers would lose game one to Denver because I just thought that was gonna be a shock to the system going from Houston to Denver. This is like that for both teams. It's very strange, very unique. I, I can't remember a finals where it, it played out like that, where these teams were so different and they won so differently and now they play each other. And it's like, you guys are in the same league as us? Like, this is how teams play in this league too? Like, I, teams play like this? Yeah. I, I, I've, one of the, I think, complaints, especially this year when, like, the ratings talk became super pervasive was how homogenous basketball had become right yeah and now to see to see i it was it was i thought i think a lot of those points were made in bad faith i didn't agree with the points but like that was that was one of the 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 talking points that the people who were looking for a reason to dislike the league were were, that was what they were bringing up for for the record i've always thought that that was bullshit because we, yeah, it's also I, very surface level. It's like you could tell it's people right going here. like, well, there's a lot of every team shoots a lot of threes now. Right. It's like yeah. the way, they, you know, Mike, something that you've, I think, done a good job pointing out, like in in your newsletter and in your past coverage as well. It's like not all threes are generated the same right. way. Like like you can still yeah. play very differently and end up with like similar types of shots or a similar shot profile. Yeah. I mean, it's just focusing too much on outcomes instead of process. Anyway, uh, Anthony, go ahead. I just wanted to. Well, no, I, say I, I was just. I was just saying that, you know, in, in an era where that has been a complaint and, and one made in, in, in bad faith, again, it, it's really cool to see two very different teams going up against each other. This, this just highlights how bullshit that point, those points have always been. We had four very different teams in the conference finals here, like hugely different. And it made for a fascinating series on both sides, even if those series ended shorter than, than maybe we thought oh, yeah. they, they might. And, and yeah, you know, I, I think like if I was to, to pick how this thing goes, it might be one of those series that feels shorter than it should have been, but every game will be closely contested. And, and so like you, if the Lakers win in five or six, or even if the, the heat win in six or seven, whatever it might be, I feel like I don't think we're going to see very many blowouts in this one. I think they're both both very evenly matched. It would also be because of like the, one of the you know we're talking all about these like different stylistic clashes. Like if this series is short, it's going to be because one of these things that we're talking about is just a wild advantage for one of the teams that we didn't necessarily like. The other team just can't counter it necessarily right. in the way that we maybe expected them to. So like I think like I, I think that's probably what would end up swinging it to be a short series versus a little bit longer one. Yeah, like maybe Anthony Davis has just puts a stamp on this series like he put it on the other ones. Or maybe the Heat goes on and the Lakers can't hit a shot. You yeah. Know? That, that's another possibility. Um, well, this I'm excited for this finals. It should be very fun. Great. I'm not sure I'm excited for the return of uh, bombastic Lakers fans like yourself. But <laughs> it's been entertaining nonetheless. Well, my you said yourself is in singular. So Harris and I agree. You, you're out of hand. Man. <laughs> Calm down. You know, speaking of that, Mike, I was just going to ask you, like, Bradley Beal bought a house in L.A. today. Okay. I was just wondering, you know, after the Lakers win the finals, like, like any, you know, like, does Danny Green and Kyle Kuzma and like a draft pick interest you? Because, you know, a lot of people are going to be tweeting that at you over the next couple months. I'm just letting you know. I mean, 
whatever. <laughs> you guys, you can't hurt. You can't, you can't hurt. Yeah, you can't hurt Mike. He's already dead. I mean, so, like, so. <laughs> I mean, whatever, man. I mean, have the photoshops begun? Have we done the Lakers? I, I think Bradley, Bradley Beal. Like, I think they've done Bradley Beal already. Like, I think Bradley Beal was last summer. Like that when they were talking about like, oh, mm. they're going to trade for someone down the line. Like, I think Beal was a. Uh, you know, right. I'm pretty sure Grant's already covered him, but we'd have to check. Okay, got it. Um, has he has he photoshopped any of the Lakers in Wizards jerseys? Like, can I get Cal's Caruso in a Wizards jersey? Would that be, go too far? No, that's too far. That, that's he's too just, far. He's, yeah, no, he's, he's a sacred child. He's the yeah. you know, but but this is you could have Coos. This yeah, is my <laughs> this is my official uh, proclamation to anyone who listens to the show. Please. Photoshop Alice Caruso in a Wizards jersey for me, please. Just so that he can be confused about why that exists. Like, why Why did someone take the time to Photoshop him into a Wizards jersey, you know? like The, the Alex Caruso thing is funny because you see fans, like ca- more casual fans of other teams will say like, God, this guy, how can this bald guy, bald white guy be, be affecting us in any way, shape or form? And then the smarter fans from all these, from, from all these teams are like, hey, is there any way? <laughs> What's his contract up? <laughs> yeah. Nice. We, someday we'll make an all they don't look good, but they're really good team, and it'll be captained by <laughs> it'll be captained by Fred Van Fleet and Caruso, and we'll just go from there. I think yeah. I'm, I, I think I still catch strays for once for saying that Derrick Rose was or Caruso was much better than Derrick Rose. Hmm. Like. Like today? No, 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 no. Today, not okay. Like yeah, I'm like, what, what year you're saying that? Like, I was like, like Mike, you might deserve some of those. I like, think, I think it was in context of Rose being linked to the Lakers at the trade deadline. Yeah. Rose yeah. is like winning Probably. his MVPs, and Mike's like, you know, there's this guy at Texas A and M. At yeah. that time, he had hair, so he might have looked good. Like, he yeah. might have looked a little bit better than he might actually was. No, I, I actually agree, and especially when you consider like. Rose apparently wasn't thrilled about. <laughs> I can actually agree. Rose was Rose was shit in 2011. No, <laughs> Rose <was CFP>. <laughs> no, no, that one. You're on. You're on an island there. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, this has been quite fun. Um, I do. I will admit, it's nice to see you guys happy again. There's something normal about the NBA when Lakers fans are puffing their chests. Um, and like Ben said, there is something cool about the Lakers fan base once you get past sort of the surface level of it. Uh, so good luck to you guys. Uh, should be an interesting finals. Just interesting year. I, I, I hope that whatever happens in these finals, we can appreciate it for what it was. And we don't mm-hmm. like, I'm already sort of dreading the LeBron Jordan discussion just because not because I think it's like any totally invalid if he wins to talk about it, but just, this is a very strange year of basketball. And I think we need to appreciate it for what it is. And I don't think it's worth comparing it to a lot of other years. Whatever I mean, happens. Just in every, general, every... comparison is a thief of joy. So like as soon as, yep. as, right, soon as something great happens, it's it's immediately, okay, so who do we compare this to? It's like, no, let's, let's just – this was a really insane year. LeBron is a really cool player to have followed throughout his career. Let's just – we that's we can have that conversation in the offseason. But when we immediately throw to it right after – every single playoff like that was kind of annoying about the whole series between ad and Jokic in in the western conference finals both guys are fantastic players that impact the game in very different ways and it got to the point where every shot that they were hitting when they were dueling each other in whatever game it was uh game two i think it was where ad hits that shot uh or game three uh when when ad hits that shot 
it was, was like, game two. It, game two. It was. It was game two. So, but when 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 AD hits that shot, it's like, see, I told you about you Jokic people, and like the Jokic people. Every time Jokic makes, like, I told you, you AD people, and like the people who I think had the best time watching that game were the people sitting back. Like, can you believe what these two yeah. guys are doing? This so is insane. What is like sort of the weirdest? One on one battle where it's like you, oh, can't believe you KCP people versus you uh, Duncan Robinson people, or would it be like, mm-hmm. like your Dion Waiters people versus your Solomon Hill people? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, look, comparison can be a thief of joy, can also be a, a really cool, enriching thing. It just depends, but I just think this year is so uncomparable that it's just let's put it away for just this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, Benny, any final thoughts? No, I'll just say that comparing anything in vacuums on a year-to-year basis is is probably not the best way to to go about looking at the totality of Michael Jordan's career and LeBron James's career. Uh, so I'll just leave it at the the way that LeBron has taken over these playoffs in a much more subtle way, deferring when he needs to to build up AD into being the player that he knows he can be. Uh, and the, the, the ability to have your teammates fulfill their potential, the way we've talked about Caruso, uh, Contavious Caldwell Pope, et cetera. That's just one of the other shades of LeBron's greatness. And and I find myself both having rooted against and for the teams he's played on, um, but always rooted for LeBron to continue to kind of evolve and push basketball forward. Um, similar to how I felt about Golden State as a team. And I think that we can thank that individual and that specific team for the reason why we have such amazing, contrasting stylistic battles in these okay. playoffs. That's what I wrote basketball, about. Basketball has been put forward 25 years in the last seven. So I'm very excited to see how this plays out. Um, and ultimately, I do really appreciate having two guys who are near and dear to the Lakers fan base and ultimately have outspoken, uh, <laughs> I shouldn't say outspoken, outsized voices on uh, social media and Twitter. Are you, are you uh, suggesting that their voices are too big? No, I would say Mine that they have. Is. Yeah, that <laughs> it's, it's more of a volume play with Anthony. Uh, oh, okay. no. <laughs> but no, uh, I'd say to everyone listening, continue to follow these two throughout the playoffs. They're fun. And ultimately, also, they have a great podcast. So if you guys have anything you want to plug before we hang up on this, uh, please, by all means, the floor is yours. So, uh, I don't even know what the title of our podcast is. So you, you go ahead. <laughs> Um, so like you could find Anthony, he hosts locked on Lakers podcast. I know that's what he wants to plug. Cause he always plugs it on his podcast, but you know, never <laughs> and plugs it on our podcast on silver screen and roll, but never does the opposite. Um, and, uh, you can One find all of my work the other, at silver screen and roll, like in its various forms, you know, like on social media, on the website, on the podcast. Uh, I just wrote a story today that I was really proud of about, uh, like just how this Lakers team has kind of like dealt with the grief of Kobe's loss and how it's kind of all culminated in this point where they can like kind of get the same like these same like kind of doubters and like questions about them as a team off their back in much the same way he did as like an alpha himself in Orlando um and I just tried to like look at it from the sense that like I just feel like too much of the coverage about that and like it is a motivating factor has been that sports movie cliche stuff that I mentioned earlier and I just wanted to kind of cut through all of that and go to like these are the ways that this has individually affected these guys and how they've shown it like this is a genuine thing it's not just like uh like a bs kind of narrative even though sometimes it can also be spun into that so um i, I you know i enjoyed putting that together and uh like was proud of that so that's on silverscreenroll.com 
I guess it didn't get plugged, but Locked On NBA. I do that Locked On NBA with Adam. I think I think people would enjoy that show because Adam does a really good job of just calling me stupid all the time. <laughs> Adam, Adam, to be clear, is Adam Mares, who was our guest a couple weeks ago on Limited Upside and is a terrific follow uh, for Nuggets yeah. and national stuff. Uh, yeah, no, Harrison, that's a really good piece. I, you should also be plugging, I think. Uh, I remember you did a story about how the Lakers would defend this year with Frank Vogel, like yes. in preseason. I just remember thinking at the time, like, ah, oh, whatever, this is a, this, we'll see how this holds up, but it's held up pretty much perfectly. So. Held up better than any preseason piece <laughs> I've done in any other year. Yeah, so. So, so go check that one out. Too, better than the Mozgov one, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's my pin tweet, not the Mozgov one, the Lakers defense one. Yeah, so, so it was, I was reading back on that after the conference finals, and it's kind of remarkable how much of it actually came to pass. Like, every team says this stuff during the preseason, but they've actually went out and done it and, like, had it actually happen. Yeah. Like, especially the LeBron locking in on defense stuff. Like, I remember Jared Dudley telling me that, and I was like, uh, I don't know about this, but like, okay, I'll put it in here. Like he said that he's doing it in practice, but you know, Jared Dudley was right. So that's, yeah. I mean, that, that piece was so prescient. And so you really got to see what was happening before it actually happened. And that's what you guys do so well is you, you spot the things before everybody else spots them because you're so much closer to the ground. Um, Anyway, that's been the Limit Upside Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to Varun, who's going to be uh, our producer. Thanks to Ben. Thanks to Anthony. Thanks to Harrison. We'll see you guys next week when uh, we'll be talking about the Lakers being in an 0-3 hole. Um, I'm just kidding. I don't <laughs> the key is to get to 3-1 down. That, that's where we'll feel mm. good. That's LeBron's magic number in exactly. the finals. Mm-hmm. So we'll be back then. Until then, this is the Limited Upside Podcast. <laughs>